and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Odd Sports Podcast Network, and we have a great one in store for you today. Um, obviously, we took a week off. It wasn't planned, but um, technical issues as well as some stuff that I'll get into here in a minute kind of kept us from uh, having an episode come out last week, but that's okay because we have a um, <laughs> we have an episode the size of two episodes here today for you, all chock full of a wonderful conversation with one Anton Voorhees. Obviously, Anton, uh, very well known for his work with Hood Slam, as well as being uh, the the brain behind uh, Glam, or one of the brains behind Glam as well. Um, you know, not to mention his work on so many other indies here on the West Coast. Everything from 5CC up in Bellingham to Pride Style in Las Vegas, um, and of course, uh, uh, one of the uh, amazing uh, competitors on our Cascadia show back on September 11th in his match against uh, Parm Singh Man. So it was really great to sit down with the Link to the Future and, and talk to him uh, about his career, about his path in pro wrestling, and you know just to get to know him a little bit better and to also talk about you know his coming out post from February of this year. Um, because I feel like a lot of the stuff that he spoke about in terms of his own apprehensions about making a, a coming out post, so to speak, uh, really vital to some discussions within the LGBTQ community itself. So we get into all of that in the conversation um, here today, and I am very, very excited to share that with all of you. Um, so I'm, I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet since we do have uh, a extensive interview with Anton which um it's it's so good I was like I did not plan for us to go for over an hour and a half but once we got talking it just kept rolling like it was just it just felt natural it just felt good um but before we get into that um I do want to kind of address last week because you know obviously I, I tweeted about the, the power outage and you know being sick somewhat and and having to go in for uh, emergency dental stuff and that sort of thing that did keep me from putting together a show um on the regular thursday but uh, while i still had plans to put something together again uh, for a release on on sunday um i kind of just decided to take that week because uh you know, I talk very openly about my own struggles here on, on this show, whether it be in conversation with the guest or in, in one of these little intros or outros or segments and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I I haven't really been right mentally for a while. Um, I know that's not like a, a breaking news sort of thing, but um, I don't know, in, imposter syndrome and... Uh, anxiety and um, you know just the general feeling of uh, being overwhelmed by the the numerous jobs that I that I have um, you know both without sports in, in this show as well as outside of that um, you know those that follow me you know I write for multiple different places um, and, you know, I'm, I'm an editor at one of those places as well. So it just, I don't know, everything just kind of hit all at once um, over the weekend. And it just, 
it just felt right for me to take a step back for for that weekend and try and recharge and try and figure out where I'm at and and to keep it from affecting my my work as well as just my my own mental state and you know that's always a struggle and it's always going to be a struggle obviously but I just haven't had a good handle on those things to the point that you know there are projects that I've wanted to do and stories that I've wanted to write that I just haven't been able to force myself to sit down with and, I, and there are plenty of feelings of guilt around that you know I think you know to point to one that is already out there and has been publicized for well over a month at this point like I still have plans to to put to write something about Russell Queerdom but I just don't know <sighs> it's just been a, a slog for me to actually like push myself to do it um, and a lot of these things factor into that as well as other things for other websites and that sort of thing but um, regardless I'm trying to, to get better and I just want to let all of you know that uh, last week's episode was just me trying to take a step or lack of episode rather it was me just trying to take a step back and figure out how to address these things for myself um, and it's still a work in progress obviously but um, just want to thank all, all of you for being understanding that there was no episode last week um, but you know that's I think that's all that I really feel like I need to share at this moment but um, I don't know it feels good to talk openly about this sort of stuff even if it is just me sitting here in my office by myself and putting this onto a recording for all of you to listen to. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we will uh, move away from from my issues and move into this wonderful, wonderful conversation with, uh, with Anton Voorhees. One third of the caution. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I'm very, very pleased to have as my guest this week someone who has been integral to Hood Slam and the various offshoot shows that we've seen there, whether it be, uh, I, I can never get the full name down, but good, sexy, fun time, good, sexy, fun time, I don't, I apologize, the, sometimes the long names throw me off a bit, but obviously Glam is another big one that he is involved with. Um, one third of the caution uh, forever and a day. Also wrestling under various uh, different forms. Link, Kano, Gore, the God Killer, for God's sakes here. But most well known to all of you as the Link to the Future, Anton Voorhees. How are you doing today, Anton? Hey, I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm glad that we were able to to get you on the show and have the chance to catch up with you a little bit. You know, we we met very briefly at Cascadia back in last month, and um, I think I know for me, I I was kind of bummed that we didn't get the chance to kind of chat a little bit more. So that's obviously what this show is here to do. So it made yeah, total let's sense. Get it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's chat. Awesome. Well, obviously, I, I, 
it's hard to, to talk about Anton Voorhees without talking about Hood Slam. Um, and there will definitely be a lot of Hood Slam adjacent topics to talk about on, on the show today. But I'm I'm very curious before we get into like wrestling origins or anything like that. Obviously, Hood Slam had a long layoff um, with the pandemic and y'all came back last August. Um, and it feels like things have been kind of rolling along and getting back into the the swing of of things over the last year or so. Um, looking at Hood Slam and, it, and its incarnation now, like not post pandemic because we're still in a pandemic, but you know coming out the other side, how do you compare Hood Slam now to Hood Slam pre pandemic? Uh, good question. I would say that. Currently, Hood Slam is kind of in a, um, let's see, if, if Hood Slam was a caterpillar for, you know, the, the 15 years that uh, before the pandemic or whatever, um, 15 years is a lot longer than Hood Slam's been around. But, you know, um, it's, it's now like it's metamorphosizing into um, what it will kind of become, you know, it's uh Hood Slam has always been this super big uh, party atmosphere. It's a lot of people getting together to appreciate not only wrestling, but all forms of storytelling and art and, uh, you know, all of the emotions that come along with any kind of performance that you can imagine. And right now, I think we're kind of in um, not not necessarily a shuffle, but like definitely uh a, a change is upon us, you know, where we are going through some, some interesting times that are different than what we were going through before, you know, bef- right before the pandemic hit, we were every Friday, which was a lot of Fridays and a lot yeah. of, a lot of wrestling and a lot of storytelling and a lot of, you know, weekly episodic entertainment. And now we are a little more spread out. So we get to kind of take our time and we, you know, we have, uh, an opportunity to really like look at you know how far we've come and like okay well now where do we want to go because when you're doing it every Friday it's really hard to kind of look too far in the future because you're like yeah but we got to worry about next week like what are we doing next week um, let's so now we are in this really cool opportunity to kind of like start steering in a direction and be like look this is where we got to let's look back at where we started what did we like about where we started and are there things that we want to bring back? Are there things that we want to change completely? Are there, are there new faces that we want to get into hood slam? Because like, we've had a pretty solid roster for a really long time. So let's maybe start uh, adventuring outward and kind of keep uh, basically growing and evolving. That's kind of where hood slam is right now. No, and I think you, you do see that not only from, you know, like you said, like the rate that events are coming, like doing things once a month definitely is less of a tax on the creative mind and, and allows for more exploration of things. But also the fact that a number of Hood Slam talents are wrestling elsewhere more often, I feel like. And also there are more talents that we don't necessarily associate with hood slam that are showing up in hood slam as well. Like, I think one of the largest cases most recently was your match with Tony Deppin, um, <laughs> which uh, was one. I never, th- I never thought I would see Tony Deppin in a hood slam ring. It works because Tony Deppin is just a gremlin. Um, but <laughs> a stump. He told me multiple times that he is a stump. And I was a like, stump. all right. I'll remember that, Stumpy. You got it. 
But what has it been like to kind of see like this this evolution of like Hood Slam? Because it felt like for so long, Hood Slam was very insular in a way, not necessarily in a negative fashion, but like it was very much a Bay Area thing that exploded and got a lot of um, a lot of eyes on it from around the country and around the world. But it was still very much like a thing that featured a lot of Bay Area people and really helped a lot of Bay Area, Bay Area people explore themselves in pro wrestling, explore new avenues in pro wrestling in a way. What has it been like for you to see like Hood Slam open itself up a bit more to the, the outside world a bit? Um, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Definitely um, really cool to, you know, get new people in there. Cause you know, we never had like a closed door policy or anything like that. Like we've had a lot of, you know, people come in that, you know, yeah, Dark Sheik gets emails, I'm going to say hourly, from somebody being <laughs> like, I need to come to Hood Slam. I need to be there. Um, and, you know, every you, you, obviously you can't let everyone in. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, people that have reached out and that have gotten a chance to be on Hood Slam. And, you know, some like names or whatever that have come in and been like, hey, we want to be at Hood Slam. You know, Brian Kendrick and Paul London and Brian Cage and other Brian's probably. Um, but like, it's, it's really cool now because when hood slam started, you know, it was a bunch of people from the Bay area that were like feeling like they weren't being allowed to shine at like the other Bay area companies. And it's, so it was a, this group of like really hungry young wrestlers that were like, let's make our own thing. Let's really like, just have fun wrestling and then it caught on in a way that no one expected it to and started pulling in more fans than all of these companies that like people were frustrated they weren't getting higher billings at before um and you know now it's uh what what are we at like 12 years i think of hood slam at this point something like that and you know those hungry young guys are no longer all that young anymore so it's you know, it's, it only makes sense that we are trying to now be like, all right, well, who's, who's going to be like this next generation of like hood slammers, like who's going to carry on this hood slamily because at some point we don't want to get down the road and have a bunch of like 45 year olds being like, Hey, I'm dressed up like Ed, Ed and Eddie. Remember them? Huh? Is this relevant <laughs> anymore? Like, no, you gotta, you gotta bring in new faces because hood slam, you know, should be kind of like, always updating itself with like what's current in like you know pop culture we don't like to get like political or anything like that but definitely like having your finger on like the pulse of like what what's going on and like what are people interested in because at some point you know me singing boys to men is going to have a bunch of people being like i don't know what this is <laughs> i've never heard this song before and then i'll be like all right maybe it's time for me to start thinking about either updating my music catalog or maybe i need to step down but it's nice to know that like there are there's still this huge interest in people coming to work with hood slam there's still people that want to party with us and have a good time no i think that that sentiment is definitely out there i don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon i think I feel like as long as Hood Slam exists and people continue to to talk it up in the way that they do, that it has a lot of staying power at this point. Y'all have proven yourselves. So <laughs> finally, yes. <laughs> Validation. Well, 
Yes, exactly. There'll be plenty of other hood slam stuff to talk about, though. But let's jump back a little bit further uh, sure. with with you specifically. Um, you know, a big thing with with talking about pro wrestling and people that that get into the, the business themselves. There's always a point where they discover it and it, it kind of sinks its hooks into you in a way. What was that moment for you? Um. Well, originally, I remember, I have this memory, and, you know, if you're, I don't know if anyone else's brain works or doesn't work the way that mine does, but, like, a lot of times when I think of memories from, like, my childhood childhood, there is a part of me that's like, this might not have even happened. This might have been a dream that I had (laughs) at some point, but I feel like I have this memory of my dad coming across wrestling as he's flipping through the channels. And I must have been young because this was like a memory at my house. And my parents were not married (laughs) that long once I was born. Um, But I have this memory of my dad flipping through channels and coming across wrestling and being like, ha ha, look at this stupid shit. And like, I watched it and was like, I fucking love this stupid shit. Um, (laughs) And like, ever since then, like, I was always trying to like find wrestling because I'm I am not a smart human being. And as a child, I was not a smart human child. And like the fact that WCW here uh, came on at like 6.05 Eastern time, I didn't know what the fuck that meant. Like I would turn on the TV at 6.05 and be like, this isn't wrestling. I don't understand. I didn't know what time zones were. I didn't know how to watch wrestling. So I would accidentally come upon wrestling as a kid and like anytime I stumbled upon it, I'd be like, yes, I have to watch this. Oh my God, it's the Steiner brothers. I've seen them like eight times and I love what they do. Um, And so mostly I was watching like WCW and just like happily like stumbling upon it. And then once I got a little older and like, you know, you had to like find wrestling fans. Like it wasn't this huge thing. Like every, you know, one out of every like 78 people would be like, I've heard of wrestling. You'd be like, oh my God, let's talk about it, please. Um, and then once I got to high school, then that's when wrestling fucking blew up. That's when NWO and Steve Austin just like invaded everything. And then like everyone at school knew wrestling, everyone watched wrestling. And it was insane as like a a wrestling fan that like, was like, "Uh, no one watches this to all of a sudden, everyone knows DX. Everyone's doing crotch chops. I remember seeing a Super Bowl where the whole like line was doing crotch chops. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. (laughs) This is rest. They're doing a wrestling thing. Like back in my day when I was six, like no one knew what wrestling was. So um, once, once that all happened, I was like, I, I fucking love wrestling, but there was not a part of me that was like, I can be a wrestler because I am not big. I was never big and I was only smaller at the time. <laughs> but um, once I stumbled into ECW, once I saw Spike Dudley getting thrown through tables by like Mike Awesome, I was like, hang on a second. If he can be a wrestler, I can do that. Someone can throw my ass through a table. Like that seems doable. And at that point, so probably around like, I don't know, 2000, 2000, 2001 is when I was like, I think I could do this. I think now is the time to be like, I can be a wrestler. I won't be in the WWE or anything like that, but I could be a wrestler. And ever since I just, that was just, a fact i was gonna do that my backup plan was to go to broadway and do musicals 
which obviously <laughs> great backup plan. You know? 100%. Yeah. If I couldn't be a pro wrestler, obviously I'll fall back on being a Broadway actor. Um, so yeah, that was, that was just the way things were going to be. And luckily one of those worked out for me. <laughs> No, I mean, I appreciate the determination, uh, whether it be just like the the naivety of being young or like the or just sheer determination of being like, no, that my backup plan is Broadway. Yeah. Like, that's just it's just I love it. it like because I, I grew up, I had a similar experience with discovering wrestling in a way, too, and experiencing that explosion in the late 90s mm-hmm. where like all of a sudden, like you or like just watching it by yourself in your house. And then all of a sudden everyone around you is obsessed with it to the point that like people are getting suspended from school from doing cross chops at the sure. teacher and shit. So yeah. like, it's, it's, it's wild to see, to experience that aspect of it. But then, you know, I feel like almost anybody that, that was a wrestling fan during that time span at some point across their mind that they like maybe I could do this or something like that, but I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like it takes a special amount of determination to be like a small kid and be like, no, this is this is me. This is me. I, I, I got this now. Like I see someone that I can that I can relate with in this. Yeah, and you know, I think a a part of that was at that same time. That's when backyard wrestling was like really like all over the news. Oh like, yeah. I, like I did backyard wrestling. I lied about it for a long time after I became a wrestler. I was like, no, nah, I didn't do that shit. Cause it was very frowned upon at the time, but I did backyard wrestling for like way longer than I had any right to. Like I was a fucking adult, like by all, by all legal senses. Like I was an adult playing in the backyard with my friends, like on a trampoline and like going through tables that we constructed ourselves and shit like that. Um, but like, because of, I don't know. I think because of backyard wrestling and the fact that there were people like, you know, the Hardy boys that were like, yes, we started in backyards and like, you know, Mick Foley, who was like, yeah, I was started in backyards. And it was just like, okay, maybe this isn't that unrealistic. Like, you know, I still wasn't like, I could be Mick Foley. Like, no, I can't. He's still like six, six or some shit. Like I am not that. (laughs) Um, So I just knew that like, it wasn't as crazy as like the thought might've been when I was younger, once like ECW and like the explosion of backyard wrestling and backyard wrestlers becoming wrestlers, fucking Blitzkrieg and WCW. They were like, he's never been trained. And I was like, what the fuck? I can be, I've never been trained either. Put me in WCW. So yeah, like things like that. I was just like, this isn't that crazy of an idea anymore. Yeah. Real quick, like just a sidebar from that. Do you feel like that stigma on backyarding is is kind of dissipated over the years now? Uh, at least in in this area, uh, like because no one talks about backyard. I don't even know if backyard rest. I'd imagine it has to. People have to just <laughs> play pretend in their backyard. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. But like it's not as like huge as it was. And I think it was frowned upon because so many backyard wrestlers just saw like, hey, I'm putting on my backyard show and like one town over, they're putting on a real, real independent show. We're at the same level. And that was what was frowned upon was these people that like went through training and paid money to learn how to do this shit right. were having these other shows like right next to them being like, yeah, we're the same. 
you want to book us on your show? And it's like, no, you're going to fucking hurt somebody. You don't know what you're doing. So that's why it was so frowned upon is just because like these people were kind of trying to say like, hey, we're at the same level when they didn't technically know what they were doing. Like, and I'm not saying that in like a derogatory sense. I just mean like, yeah, you're doing a headlock on the wrong side. Like, oh my God, you don't know how to safely do that. You guys are literally just punching each other in your mouth. Like, <laughs> please stop doing this. Like, that's bad for your health. There's a wizardry to this wrestling thing that you don't know, you haven't been taught. So um, now at this point, I don't think that that's as frowned upon because I, I mean, I guess I just don't hear of too many people that are just straight up. I've never been trained and I'm getting booked on shows as often anymore so i don't think it's as frowned upon because it's not as like big of a i don't know problematic area anymore yeah i mean i mainly ask is like it seems like there are a lot of not a lot but there are like select figures that were very prominent in like the backyard wrestling scene from like the mid-2000s on that are like definitely celebrated in, in certain independent wrestling circles like people like Mac DeMorest and Alex Zane even someone who started with or was very prominent in backyard stuff and now is wrestling with you know every company out there for the most sure. part like it's just an interesting it's, it's been interesting to see the evolution of like the viewpoint on that because like you're right I feel like in terms of backyard wrestling representing itself as equal to a like independent promotion that has had people like you said that have paid to be trained and have gone through that very grueling process of, of learning the craft correctly and to to be to have that comparison be made or to have that that chance that risk of injury that is presented there it was a good reason to kind of put a bit of a, a black eye on it back then but i feel like there's more respect respect in a way from backyarders over the over the span of that time in terms of like understanding what they're doing and, and where their place is in the greater wrestling scheme i maybe that's not the best way to to word it i don't know yeah i'm not i'm not really sure like where it exactly sits in the spectrum of like is this frowned upon or is it smiled upon but what i what i can say is that like when when I was like an assistant trainer uh, for wrestling and people would come in and they'd be like, yeah, we're, we're backyard wrestlers. Like we still run backyard shows. And like, on the one hand, I was like, okay, we'll stop doing backyard shows. Like now that you're paying to be a professional wrestler, like stop doing community theater more or less. Um, and now that I'm like, you know, a head trainer many years later at Stoner U in Oakland, California, please check us out if you want to be a professional wrestler. Um, now I'm getting students that like come in. And I'm like, okay, we're going to work on this. And they're like, I have no idea how to do that. And I'm like, why not? Don't you, don't you backyard wrestle? Like, don't you, come on, why not? <laughs> like it's, so it is like this weird, like juxtaposition in my head that like, I used to be like, ew, you backyard gross. And now I'm like, come on, don't you kids backyard wrestle? Like, why don't you know how to grab someone for a suplex? Like you've seen one millions of times, right? Like, what, where are these little connecting points? But um, that just, you know, goes to show that like, yeah, backyard wrestling is not what it used to be. Like it's not um, as big of a thing because, you know, now people have like, you know, cool things to do with their time in life <laughs> and not be a nerd in their own backyard with their friends. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe it's a good thing, but as a trainer, it is kind of like, man, we're really starting from scratch. Whereas before, like, 
you'd get new students, but they'd still kind of have an idea of like, oh, belly to back suplex, you do this and you're like, yeah, technically, but do it on the other side. Good, great. Yeah, that's a belly to back suplex. And now it's like, you have no idea what it is. Grab their arm. Nope, other arm. Nope, stay, uh, no, ah, start over. Sorry, <laughs> forget I said anything. Uh, well, obviously piggybacking off of that conversation, let's get back to you. You are, you see Spike Dudley, you realize that this is something that you can do and that you want to do. You transition from backyarding into training. When do you, when do you, when do you start training with Devil Mountain? Started training. Ooh, look at you. You're on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I do research. What can I say? No, that's great. Um, I, I never assume anyone has, cause I've definitely done interviews where people are like, all right, so, uh, Tell me about yourself. I've never seen you do anything. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> Why am I on this? Um, so, yeah, Devil Mountain. I started in 2006 is when I first started training. Um, went in there with a buddy of mine that I backyard wrestled with that I went to high school with. And, you know, we he and I both kind of said, like, we're going to be wrestlers. Like, at some point, we'll do this. And he found Devil Mountain because we had gone to a couple of like local shows in the area. There were a few different promotions. And one of the guys that wrestled at these different promotions, Hellfire, uh, real name, no gimmicks. Uh, he just started a wrestling school. And my buddy was like, hey, let's go check this out. Um, even if we hate it, like at least we can say at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, like we tried to be wrestlers. And I was like, cool, yeah, let's do it. And I am super uh, codependent at this point in my life. like. I couldn't imagine going to like a fast food restaurant by myself. Like that's ridiculous. I couldn't do it. What am I going to do? Order my own food and sit by myself and eat it. What a weirdo. You can't do that. You have, you have to have friends around you at all times. So we went in, um, we did like three days of training and the training was this combination of wrestling training and powerlifting. Cause it was at a powerlifting gym. And I weighed all of 150 pounds, like at best. And I am in there like doing powerlifting shit with guys that are like fucking 300 pounds, just these big, you know, world's strongest men, fucking Mark Henry sized dudes. And they're carrying around like hundred pound medicine balls and they don't have anything lighter. They're just like, all right, go do that. And I'm like, cool. That's like two thirds of my body weight. Let's do it. Um, so that all sucked. and. Like my buddy was like, the powerlifting is fucking dope. Like he got so into the powerlifting that after a week he was like, I need to focus on this. I don't want to do the wrestling anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I won't be a wrestler because I'm not doing this by myself because I don't do anything by myself. And uh, luckily one of the other guys that was at training, Sean Sims, the sensational Sean Sims, um, heard me say that I was thinking about like not coming anymore because my friend wasn't and he was like no like I'll be your friend like we'll do this together like you have a lot of potential like um because of the backyard wrestling like it was very easy for me to pick up on shit and it was not easy for some of the other people to pick up on stuff and me and Sims were just like rolling through stuff so Hellfire would be like all right we're gonna learn I don't know a vertical suplex uh Anton and Sims get in there and we would get in there and we would do it and he'd be like yes now everyone else fuck it up for like an hour and we'd be like cool. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so, yeah, Sims was just like, I'll be your friend. And like, without him, I would have quit wrestling. Like, I just couldn't imagine myself doing something on my own. And he made sure that I stuck it out. And that's where that started. And then like three months later, Hellfire was like, hey, you're going to be in a match. And I was like, wow, I'm ready. And he's like, no, you're not ready, but we're going to throw you in a match. And I was like, oh, great. And so I had my first match after like three months and uh, wore a mask and my fucking tights fell down. But other than that, the match went fine. (laughs) And uh, I never looked back. I just was trying to, you know, keep bettering myself ever since. I have to ask, how, what were you feeling if in your first match when your tights fell down? Um, <laughs> like, so, I don't know, brief history. I started uh, doing theater in like the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and performing in general, like, was something that I was like ridiculously comfortable with. Um, like whenever people are like, public speaking freaks me out. I'm like, I could, I could talk to a room of a million people and be very comfortable. Uh, put me in a room with like 20 people and be like, hey, converse like a normal human being. I'll be like, I am the most uncomfortable person <laughs> on the planet. Please let me out of here before I kill myself. Um, but like performing in, its, in and of itself is like very comfortable. So yeah, I don't know. My pants fell down and I was like, huh, that sucks. And I just pulled them back up. Like it didn't, I didn't think much of it. Like the show must go on and you just keep moving forward. So for me, all of that came very easily and naturally. And then I, there was a picture of me with like my fucking tidy whities hanging out. And I was just like, ha ha, that sucks. Good thing I was in a mask. And you know, I just moved on with my life and continued training. It's important to have a short memory like that. Like, I feel like that's, I feel like that's something that, a lot of people, a lot of people would like immediately get hung up on and it would affect their like confidence to even like continue with something. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Like the quickness of just like, yep, that happened, whatever. It sucked moving on. Like it, it just feels like a, um, a different reception. <laughs> I think that a lot of people would have to that happening. Well, um, a big part of my like normal personality is I oftentimes like my style of humor and entertainment is to be the butt of the joke. Like I will self-deprecate. I will go out of my way to like make myself look stupid to make someone else like feel happy or whatever. So pants fall down like, haha, yeah, I am an idiot. So I'll just pull them back up. Like I did that. That just falls in line with how I entertain people anyway. So yeah, I'm never worried about screwing up something like I can make a screw up work in my favor if I need to but I also was in a mask and I just didn't care like what I'm gonna get to the back and when I take my mask off no one in the crowd's gonna be like you are the guy whose pants fell down they'd be like hey where's that guy in the mask I'd be like I don't know I heard he died (laughs) I don't know it's the perfect accident yes exactly (laughs) so what point do you feel like you like start to get your legs underneath you um in the pro wrestling world? Um, It's a good question because I know for me, and I I feel like for a lot of people as they're coming through wrestling is like, you keep having that feeling of like, oh, I get it now. I look back at what I used to do and like realize now that I didn't get it, but I get it now. And then you just do that every year. (laughs) (laughs) Like you, you realize like, oh, I didn't get it. 
but now I do. And then you just keep having that realization over and over again. So I don't know. I felt comfortable with wrestling pretty quickly. And like, I wasn't great at it, but I was not bad at it either. So I always felt like I had a pretty good handle on it. And then, you know, as I got older and like learned more about wrestling and more about storytelling and more about manipulating an audience for lack of a better term like i realized like oh i didn't get it then but now i get it and like mm. i thought i was over at devil mountain when like you know 17 kids were chanting my name i was like yeah awesome it's echoing throughout this empty gymnasium um but then you know getting to hood slam and having you know 800 people all throw up the the triforce it's just like oh this is what it's like to be over I, that's this is a different feeling okay <laughs> It's not because I'm a good guy. It's because they go, oh, that's the guy I like. I'll do his little hand thing. Like, so, you know, you have different realizations as you go of like, oh, I thought I understood, but now I understand. And I probably still don't understand a lot of stuff, but I feel like I have a pretty good grip on how to tell a story and how to entertain a crowd and how to do some cool moves and put them all together to do one cohesive thing and not try to focus on any one aspect of it. And, and to your point as well, it feels like that can take on different definitions depending on like where you're at, like what stage you're at in your career as well. Because like I can imagine like if you're like just at like Devil Mountain, for instance, like you have 17 kids chanting your name, like that can that can definitely feel like a, a validation sort of thing. And then as you continue to progress, like you just see different forms of it in a way, like what you see at Hood Slam or what you may see at other promotions now, like just to be able to see how that evolves and changes and how you change that definition for yourself in a way for sure. over time. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's, it's just, it's, I, I really enjoy like hearing people's answers for that question specifically, just because it feels like they're all the same but they also, or no, not all the same, but they're, they're similar, but they're also like vastly different in terms <laughs> of like how they define it for themselves. Cause it's such a, a self-defining thing. Yeah. Uh, what I, what I like to try to tell my students or people that are trying to like figure out what it is like to be a professional wrestler. And in my opinion, like you're ready, you are ready to be a professional wrestler when you can understand that like you're going to go into a match and something, if not multiple things are gonna go wrong and that's fine. And you're just gonna wrestle. Like once you understand that, like nothing can stop you. It's, it's that, it's those like, ooh, I hope I do okay. Oh God, I'm kind of worried. Like it's those moments that are like, I don't know if maybe you're not ready for this. Like you're gonna fuck up, you go, you're gonna. It's gonna be the worst thing ever. And then you're just gonna do something else and you're gonna be fine. Like. You're in there with an opponent. You're in there with a referee. At the minimum, those two people theoretically are on your side to put on a good show. So like, you're just gonna trust yourself. You're gonna trust them and you're gonna just do it. Like, it's not gonna be perfect. It never will be. You'll never have a perfect match. And once you can accept that, like you're ready to be a wrestler. Was that something that you had to learn for yourself? Um, I don't know. Cause like I said, like performing was always a part of, of my life for so long that I, I remember distinctly, like right before my match, I was standing at the curtain and by curtain, I mean, it was a door. <laughs> um, and I'm 
there is a fire alarm going off because it, of course there is of course it's an indie wrestling show it's some school gym or something and like so of course the fire alarm's going off and one of my trainers alexis derevko comes up to me and he's like hey kid are you nervous and i'm like trying to listen and i'm like what he's like are you nervous and i'm like no i'm trying to listen to my music that's my music i gotta go like it's just <laughs> i it's just it to me it's like it's a performance it's it is what it is and like yes i wasn't like i could always be a better wrestler and my my goal every day to this day is to try to be better than i was the last time i wrestled which is why i watch my own matches so many times to be like oh that could have been better oh why did you say that oh that was good that was quick-witted you're so smart praise <laughs> but also oh you fucked this up um so that the next time i can be better i can't beat myself up because what i did i already did i can't beat myself up for it no reason to punish myself or anything like that but how do i make sure that that doesn't happen again and then you're always just trying to be better and so i just think i had a decent mindset for it um and again could always be a better wrestler I'm not saying that i am a great wrestler <laughs> by any means but you know i'm not bad <laughs> no you definitely you definitely are not thank you <laughs> i guess the better question would be like since since it all kind of goes back to like the musical theater experience that you had previously that kind of like set you up for for some of this stuff as well like was there was there ever an experience like doing theater that kind of taught you that lesson for yourself or was this just like you were just born like being able to like just set aside these things for yourself oh definitely not not born with it <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's maybelline but definitely not born with it um i what i got from theater um, because, you know, theater, much like wrestling, like you kind of start in the background and then work your way up to being more featured. And so like in the background, I got very used to entertaining myself. Like, you know, I'm doing know, fucking guys and dolls or some shit. And I'm some dude in a zoot suit in the background. Like, I'm going to get bored as shit if I'm just sitting there going like, you know, peas and carrots, peas and carrots with everybody else. So I am legitimately like having conversations and entertaining myself and kind of entertaining the people around me and just like having those quick witted, like improv moments on stage in front of people while still doing my fucking job, which is not to pull focus onto myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, that definitely helped in wrestling because there's a lot of times in wrestling where like, if someone's watching you, you need to be doing something. But also you can't, if you're managing or you're like doing a spot where, you know, everyone's climbing the ladder, but I just took a bump. Like I have to be doing something while I'm doing essentially nothing in the match. So I do think that that's kind of the most helpful that theater was, was kind of keeping me uh, on at all times until, you know, the curtain closes, the lights go out or I, you know, go to the back or whatever. <laughs> no, and it makes sense, especially with like, you know, the way that you like verbalize in the ring, like the, the quick wit, like you point to with, with opponents, like that was one thing, obviously I've seen a lot of, of your matches, but that was one thing when like watching you and Parm at Cascadia that just came through so well was like you two, like kind of going back and forth verbally at the same time that y'all are going back, back and forth physically as well. Like it just, I don't know. It adds a different dynamic to the presentation in a way. Yeah, and what's funny is when I first started wrestling, like 
that is not the wrestler I wanted to be. Hmm. I wanted, I wanted to be Loki. I wanted to be I see. <laughs> just this little bald badass that just beat the fuck out of people and like, yeah, I'm small, but I'll fucking kill you. And that is not me. I is just not me. I, but I I tried to fight against my natural habits because I didn't want to just be the guy that went out there and ran his mouth and was funny because those were like that was my crutch. That was my easy way out. And I wanted to challenge myself. And maybe that's my weird actor mentality of like, you know, you're not good until you can be something that isn't you naturally. And so that was kind of my goal was to like portray this whole character. And then eventually had to be like, dude, just do what you're good at. Just be good at the thing that you're already good at. Why, why fight against natural instincts? And then I started letting myself run my mouth and just be that guy. Uh, originally as a, as a fake Canadian, when I first started, um, I, people didn't like me because people are fucking racist and they hated me because I was from Canada um, for no other reason. So I was the guy that ran his mouth and never stopped talking. You know, I was uh, not to sound cliche, but I was very Deadpool-esque of just like, I never stopped talking as I'm fighting people or getting the shit beat out of me um, appropriately. Like if, if I'm in a submission, I'm not cracking jokes or anything like that, which I definitely yeah. see, see that a lot as people like <laughs> constantly trying to be a comedian. You know, you got to pick your spots, but I just found that that worked and that made people dislike me. And then the first time I had to be a good guy, I was like, Ooh, how do I do that? Like I can be obnoxious, but can I be like likable while I'm running my mouth and you know, lo and behold, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> and I can imagine that definitely was a, a good, a good tool in, in your arsenal, whatever hood slam started as well. Um, you know, kind of coming into that completely different environment there that, that was, built by by dark chic and so many others that are there talk to me about um like your entrance into hood slam like what was what brought you to to hood slam and as i guess that you started as link right or Correct. was that yes yep, yes that's that's that was the beginning um yeah so when when hood slam first started i i was the ultimate like weekend warrior like i i wrestled at devil mountain once a month. And I was like, that is plenty of wrestling because I was with someone at the time I was married at the time. I guess I should just come out and say I was married at the time. Um, and we did theater together. And so anytime I did a wrestling show, it was potentially taking time away from theater, uh, with my ex. And it was kind of you know, frowned upon in the household to be taking time away from what we did together because you should do everything together because codependency, right? We're still there. We're still in the middle of it. Thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, uh, I eventually had to kind of like come out of that mindset, but it took a long time. But when Hood Slam first started, like Hood Slam was using people from Devil Mountain, like taking kind of the scraps from Devil Mountain. So a lot of a lot of the people that I, you know, was close friends with and training with or like the newer students that were like just starting training were working these original Hood Slam shows. But I wasn't because I was like, no, I'm fine just doing the once a month thing. I don't need to add another thing. Also, I was not. Uh, drinking or doing drugs of any kind. I wasn't straight edge because that was like a thought process. I just didn't 
<laughs> for no reason other than like I got used to saying no and then I just continued to say no to things forever. <laughs> um, and so the idea of Hood Slam, while also trying starting to realize that I was um, very like, uh, sh not shy, but like I didn't like being around people. I was very introverted and I didn't, I was just coming to grips with that. I was like, Hood Slam sounds like the worst place for me to be. Like there's gonna be drugs, there's gonna be people drinking, there's gonna be a bunch of people and I'm gonna be so uncomfortable. So I didn't do it for, all, for years. I just didn't do Hood Slam. But I loved the idea of it. I, you know, I've, me and Dark Sheik have been like pretty close since before Hood Slam ever started. Um, so just like knowing that she was putting on these shows, I was just like as supportive as I could be. Um, but also was just like, I can't do this. And, you know, we fast forward through time a little bit. Um, I stop enjoying wrestling. I, I need to focus on my marriage. I, I need to be an adult finally. And then, you know, some bing, bang, boom, some shit happens and I'm starting to get divorced because I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm starting to like come into my own as a human being. And I realize like, I don't like this person that I am. And so I decide like, hey, I should get divorced. That seems like a good first step. Let's do that. Um, and around the same time, uh, Hood Slam is putting on a video game themed show called The Smoke Arena of Time. And <laughs> Sam hits me up and doesn't specifically say, hey, this is the last time I'm going to ask you to work a Hood Slam. But kind of that point came across of like, I'm not going to ask you to do this again. Like I've been asking you for like, I don't know, four years or whatever. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Let's get back into wrestling. Let's do it. And I went, you know, on Amazon, I bought two link outfits just immediately. Um, and then, yeah, we did it. And I came out and like got this huge fucking pop louder than I've ever gotten for anything ever. Uh, just coming out dressed as Link. And I was like, ooh, yeah, I like this. Let's do this forever. And, you know, the the show was supposed to be like a one-time thing. Like all of the normal Hood Slam characters were playing other people. Like Doc Atrocity was Simon Belmont in the match. And so we wrestled each other. And like, because of how popular Link was and because, you know, I, ha I had a Triforce tattoo. I still have it, but I didn't have as many. <laughs> um, but I had a Triforce tattoo. Like, so everyone knew that Zelda was important to me. And Sam was just like, hey, you want to just keep doing Link? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And so I just kept doing Link and, you know, tried to stay very true. Because again, actor brain, tried to stay very true to the character. And was like, well, I can't do normal wrestling moves because Link isn't a wrestler. So I tried to do wrestling moves based around the video games and like tried to keep it very um you know similar to the games and i didn't talk because link doesn't talk and then slowly but surely was like ah who gives a shit like and so link, <laughs> link really just started turning into me and then my separate anton character when i was wrestling slowly started turning into link and they kind of merged into one person and now i'm very happy with that person i feel like i've finally you know you know i don't know what 11 years into being a wrestler finally went like oh i figured out a character yay i got it <laughs> I, I did the thing i still can't give you an elevator pitch of what my character is like if someone was like hey what's your gimmick i'm like i don't know i'm an idiot but like <laughs> i guess i also like travel dimensions if you're interested in that if not i don't have to do that but yeah mostly i'm an idiot 
And um, yeah, I do Zelda themed things. Neat, sound like a wrestler you want on your card. Uh, but I promise it works, it works. It, I, can't, I can't tell you in good words why it works, but it does. Oh no, it definitely does. <laughs> I can attest to that. All right, Yens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. But no, it's, it's interesting to kind of hear that you that you coming to Hood Slam was basically at the end of this, like, long introspective period for yourself you know i feel like you know anytime that you are like living through like this idea of feeling codependent or like these sort of struggles like once you start to break that mindset a lot of things do change you like your vision of what you've kind of built around yourself starts to change and i don't know i feel like it, it can be very very um daunting to take a a chance on something like that especially whenever you're like not necessarily into all of the scenes that hood slam really represents you know like like it is i think i've heard some people describe it as like just like distilled debauchery at times <laughs> sure i'll buy that so which honestly i'm all here for but you know coming from the perspective that you had like whenever she was trying to like ring you up and bring you in like did it feel like it was just like a, a giant like leap of faith for you in a way? Um, I think that like, again, with, with going back to me being super codependent, I think just me realizing like, I need to make this big change. Like getting a divorce was the biggest change that I could imagine because like, I was kind of like, cool, this is my life now. And then having a realization of like, oh shit, that's not my life. What is my life now? Um, so the the wrestling thing was not, a leap of faith that was just me being like fuck it let's start doing new things because you know at the same time getting a divorce is sad 
you know, no matter what, whether it's my idea or it's not, it was my idea, but it was still sad. <laughs> um, like I still like had this, you know, hurt, this pain just encasing my heart. And like for like a, a week straight from the second I woke up for, to the second I went to bed, I just had this like hurting in my chest and like was just like, I can't keep doing this. This is terrible. Like what do people do when they're this sad? Uh, I guess they drink and I don't drink, but I'll give it a shot. And I, so I went home from work that day and I took a shot and instantly just the burning down my throat around my heart. And then it just went into my stomach and I was like, wow, I feel so much better instantly. <laughs> this is how people get drinking problems. I get it. Okay. And so like from then, like, yeah, everything was kind of like just new of just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do a hood slam. Let's have some drinks. Let's smoke some weed. Let's let's just fucking open ourselves up to some experiences that really the only reason you weren't doing them is because at some point in your life you went, yeah, I don't do that, which is not a good reason to do anything. Just like, and I did that like as a kid when someone would be like, hey, do you like blueberry pie? I'd be like, no, I don't like pie. And they'd be like, have you had it? And I'm like, no, but I decided that I don't like it. So I'm <laughs> never going to eat it ever. Um, you know, that healthy mindset. <laughs> so I tried, I got out of that. And that definitely, so doing hood slam was kind of like, just seemed like a natural step of just like an opportunity, fuck it, let's go. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that I did. And I can thank no one but Dark Sheik for, you know, sticking it out and being like, look, motherfucker, do this fucking show. It's gonna, you're going to like it. You're going to enjoy it. It'll make me happy to see you happy there. And, and so I did it and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> now at what point does the caution become a thing <laughs> fucking a <laughs> uh, so the caution uh, i i love telling the story and i hope you have uh, some time sit back i am all ears i am here for as long Good. as you want to take outstanding um so the caution this beautiful thing uh, known as the caution much like hood slam was something that wasn't necessarily supposed to be a thing um, we are doing a show at a drive-in movie theater. Uh, if you've ever been to a show at a drive-in movie theater, many of them are fucking nonsense and terrible and no one gives a shit. And this was <laughs> one of those shows. So I get to the, to the drive-in, um, just have my normal Anton is Canadian wrestling gear. And there is an empty drive-in and there's a wrestling ring and there is a U-Haul. And so I walk up to the U-Haul and that's where some of the hood slam people are. And I walk up to Sheik and I'm like, Hey, what are we doing? And she's like, we're going to do a trios tournament. And I'm like, sweet. Well, what team am I on? And she's like, it's going to be you, me and Omega. And I'm like, awesome. I don't know who Omega is. And she was like, Oh, uh, kid Omega. And I was like, yeah, I don't know who that is. She was like, uh, he's the guy that plays Scorpion at Hood Slam. And I'm like, fucking Scorpion wears a mask. I don't know who plays Scorpion. <laughs> um, and she's like, he, I don't know. He played player two Pong at, at points when Pong tagged with his, himself in slightly different gear. And I was like, okay, I think I know who that is. Cool. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do a trios tournament. And I don't know, we'll win. And I was like, sweet. And so, you know, we're sitting there and Pong isn't, or not Pong, I'm sorry. Uh, Omega, I'm trying to remember what names we're going by at this point. <laughs> so Omega is not there. 
And we're just sitting around waiting for the show to start. And it's like an hour until the show is scheduled to start. And this place is fucking empty. And yet there are like four kids by the ring. These kids have no parents. I don't know where they came from or how they got there. (laughs) But they're just four children sitting next to the ring. And Sheik looks at me and she's like, hey, do you want to like go cut a promo for, I don't know, until the show starts? And I'm like, like an hour? You want to cut an hour long promo? Yes, let's go do it. And so Dark Sheik and I go to the ring. Um, She grabs a microphone and she starts just, just rambling. Like no reason to be talking like the kids don't know what's happening but dark chic is just going on a rant about wrestling and i want to say like 20 minutes pass of just just dark chic chanting or chatting with with people um and then at some point she looks at me and she's like did you want to talk and i was like you've gone this far just <laughs> you got this it's you it's all you And so eventually she's like, all right, uh, fuck. Hey, kids, come into the ring. Come sit in a circle. Let's do a poetry slam. And so like, (laughs) you know, we have the kids like come up with little poems and blah, blah, blah. And we're just bullshitting, just bullshitting for as long as we can because there's nothing else to do. And eventually Dark Sheik is like, all right, hey, so we're going to do a trios tag team tournament. These kids don't know what that means. It doesn't matter. But she's like, so our team needs a name we don't have a name all the other teams have names they've worked together before so our team needs a name and one little kid raises his hand and he's like you guys should be the pirates and me and dark chic are like that's the worst fucking thing i've ever heard why would we be pirates we're not pirates but we don't say that we just feel it in our hearts um and dark chic's like no we shouldn't be the pirates there's a guy back there named steve so you know can't be pirates (laughs) Uh, and then the kid raises his hand again and she's like, all right, what else you got? And he's like, you guys should be the ninjas. And we're like, oh, that's, that's even worse, kid. You're the, you suck. You suck at this, but we don't say that because <laughs> you know, you want to encourage, you want to encourage the youth. Um, so we're like, no, we can't be the ninjas. There's a, there's a Cobra Kai guy back there, you know, karate ninjas. We can't do that. And then this little girl raises her hand. And we're like, fucking thank God, not this kid with the shit ideas. Like, (laughs) we're like, okay, little girl, like, what's your idea? And she says, I think, preface, I think because he said the pirates and the ninjas that she kind of thought it had to have the in it. So she was like, you guys should be the caution. And we're like, those fucking (laughs) words don't go together. (laughs) What is that? Never in human history has anyone ever said, yeah, look out for the caution. Like, what does that mean? The caution? Caution isn't a word that you put the in front of. So we loved it instantly. And we're like, okay, why? Why should we be the caution? And she's like, because your opponents should be warned. And we were like, fucking yeah, you're right. They should, little girl. And then we took that and we never gave it back. So if that little girl ever sues us for royalties, I'm going to say too bad. You, you can't get in. You gave, you gave that freely and you can't have it back. We are the caution now and forever. So the caution now has a name. Um, Omega shows up to the show and we like Omega, uh, who would then be known as Ian Hansmith, uh, formerly known as Kid Omega. Um, he loved uh, comedic, what he calls old man Lucha. 
Like he loves that just like kind of slapstick, just silly lucha style wrestling. Like that's mm-hmm. where his brain, you know, starts and kind of ends. It's just like those are the kind of matches that he would love to have. Uh, Dark Sheik and I both also like comedy wrestling. Like we try to be not as like blatant, like not not as like haha slapstick wacky zany originally but like we each had like this kind of comedic style to our wrestling and it just melded really well together when we were working and also we were the bad guys so we were just like doing stupid shit and people hated us and we were like this is great and so after that show after we won the wait i know the name of it the squire of trios kickback three ninjas tournament or some shit like that I think I said that in the wrong order, but those are all the right words. I have a trophy somewhere of, of the tournament. <laughs> um, but yeah, we won that. And I was like, that was so much fun. Like that was more fun than I've had wrestling like in general. And so one of the companies that I was wrestling for, like asked me like, kind of like, well, what do you want to do here? Like, we don't really have anything for you, but let's, let's figure something out. And I was like, I'd really like to keep doing this thing. I did it as this other show, the caution, um, would it be cool to bring in E enhancement? Now E enhancement has changed his gimmick at this point. Cause he can't be, he doesn't want to be kid Omega anymore. He doesn't want to wear a mask. And so his new gimmick was that he, he's been wrestling for like 10 years already at this point at a minimum. And his new gimmick is that he is a brand new student at Stoner U and he's just the best student they've ever seen. Just natural <laughs> athlete. And so they named him the talent E enhancement, a playoff of talent enhancement because they were thinking that he was just going to be a jobber. But then once he started wrestling, they're like, nah, he'll just win. It's fine. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started bringing uh, Ian with me to shows and we started tag teaming uh, in places that were not hood slam. And it really started getting over. We started doing promos um, that, didn't necessarily get over with fans because not a lot of fans were like following my social media at the time, but like the boys were really enjoying what we were doing. Like the fact that like every booking meeting when someone be like, all right, so a tag match, uh, the caution and like everyone in the locker room would be like, caution. Cause that's, <laughs> cause that's what we did in our promos was just yeah. like, anytime someone said caution, the other person would whisper caution. Um, like it just started getting really over. And I think eventually Sheik was like, you guys are having way too much fun. Like I want, why don't we do this at hood slam? Like I want, I want this. And so eventually like the dark Sheik character at hood slam brought in Ian enhancement as like, this is my protege Ian enhancement and brought Ian under her wing. And then kept just blatant ripoff nwo like who's the third man the third man of the caution and then eventually it was revealed that it was link and so link wrestled one match as like heel link i wore all black did the the shadow link gimmick and then at the next show revealed like i'm not link i've never been link i am a fucking award-winning actor you idiots and I had you all fooled. And that's kind of how Caution got its start. And that's where Anton Voorhees at Hood Slam was kind of born. And that's also where Butt Stuff was born. Because it was during that promo that I, I cut the infamous Butt Stuff promo. And, you know, it lives on in infamy ever since. <laughs> I, oh my God. I absolutely 
love that. I love that one that the idea came from a child. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, yes, just top notch. Like that. I don't know what she has gone on to do with her life, but she has something to hang her hat on. Great things. Yes. <laughs> Only great things have come to her. But the fact that it, it feels like the caution almost like gave you and from what you described, like Ian, in a way, like kind of a new lease on this pro wrestling thing in a way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like I don't, if it weren't for the caution, like I don't think I would still be doing link at hood slam. I think like we, at some point we were going to kind of venture away from like these, you know, copyrighted things that we shouldn't yeah. have been doing. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where my career would be right now if it weren't for this just like random chance thing that we did that happened to work out really well, where we all got to be like, oh, we can just be stupid. We could just be stupid. Like, why are we doing anything but being stupid? And that's kind of where the caution started. <laughs> like, we just had this out, outlook of like, you know, like in the early 2000s like with edge and christian like they were idiots but then they would go in the ring and you know win championships and like have great matches and we were like yeah let's do that like let's be stupid let's do stupid promos let's be just like the dumbest people in the world but then when it's time to wrestle like we're still good wrestlers we don't have to be idiots in the ring all the time <laughs> like our gimmick isn't that we're bad it's that we're dumb <laughs> so <laughs> So yeah, it was just, yeah, it definitely like, I can't, uh, I cannot say like how rewarding the caution uh, has been for me to the point that we did a story at one point where, you know, Ian, Ian retired and that was sad and hard, but you know, everybody has to retire at some point and he had a good reason for doing it. But then like, you know, he came back a couple of times and we did a story where we all got sent into a different dimension obviously to fight in this like mortal combat tournament and ian was there and ian was mad at us for like not rescuing him from this other dimension and like the show ends with ian like mad at us and that like legitimately bothered me for a long time like as a human being mm. in my day-to-day -day life i was like i fucking hate that the character of Ian Hansmith is mad at my character. It really, it hurts me that that, that is a thing. So I'm glad that the storyline has resolved all of our issues and now we're, we're good again. But yeah, I just, the caution means the fucking world to me. And it's like, to this day, like even shows where like Dark Sheik's not on, like if someone's like, yeah, what do you want me to say about you? Like, all right, well, I'm one third of the caution. Like number one, <laughs> that's the first thing you say. <laughs> Because yes, I'm also part of the agenda and I'm part of Blood Bond 64, but like, you don't have to say all that shit, but make sure you say I'm one third of the caution. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm i glad to see like the, that the storylines have worked out in, in that way, especially, I don't know, like the journey of Ian, like being like upset with, with y'all to the point that he sacrifices himself to go to space jail for yes. you and Sheik. Yep. Like is it first off, I just love that I can talk about that in a pro wrestling context because that's what Hood Slam gives us. But it's just I don't know, it's just it's it's beautiful. Can I tell you, uh yes, while we're on topic of that, like my favorite wrestling moment of all wrestling of all time involves me. <laughs> but <laughs> I would um, I would imagine. <laughs> um, but like 
when when Ian did retire, when like you know we had this match that was um, you know without getting into too much backstory, basically Ian and I uh, tried to recruit Dark Sheik into our caution because Dark Sheik at one point was revealed to be a robot, and then the real Dark Sheik came in, and so when the real Dark Sheik got there, we were like, hey, we've been doing this thing with your robot, and you should join us, and she was like, no. I just got here. I don't, I don't even know who Ian is. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not joining your team. Um, but then eventually she formed the caution Two, which was her own team. So we had a match of the caution versus caution Two, And it was after that match that Ian like retired, like he got on the microphone and, you know, broke the kayfabe and shit and was like, Hey, I am retiring. Like I just, I need to spend time with my daughter. I never, I always said that like, I wouldn't let wrestling ever get in the way of like me being a good parent. But when I broke my arm a year ago, like I couldn't, you know, go swimming with my daughter on her birthday. Like wrestling was starting to affect my, my life in a way that like, I didn't like. So he retires. He has this big tearful, like sad goodbye. And like gives me a hug and gives dark chic a hug and just leaves and now it leaves like me and Dark Sheik in the ring together, just like looking at each other and storyline wise, like we don't like each other, but we've also kind of broken the story and like said like, hey, we're, we all do like each other. But so like, we're in this really awkward, like real sad moment of like, where does it go from here? And then fucking aliens come <laughs> to arrest me. Like that is my favorite <laughs> thing ever that like, the audience gets to see this real like sad and awkward moment. And then it's just like, and fucking aliens came. Here we go. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the beauty of hood slam though. It's like you do, you get those real moments. You get this real emotion from not just the characters, but the people behind the characters. And then, but at the same time, you have the freedom to just venture off into these realms of of like theater and creativity that re- like most pro wrestling doesn't present themselves like sure. it's just and sorry I, go that's ahead what I, no that's just what i <laughs> what i love about hood slam is like yes we are silly like yes we don't take you know the the wrestling business like as seriously as a lot of people probably think that the the business needs to be taken um i like to think that we're not disrespectful to wrestling in any way shape or form we're just a different breed of wrestling in the same way that like a death match is still wrestling it's just a different style of wrestling and like if you like it great if you don't that's fine too because it's it's just one of the flavors of the ice cream of wrestling but like you know what i love about hood slam is just that like it can be as silly or as serious as as anyone in the audience wants to take it because you know, when Dark Sheik was revealed to be a robot, even though she looked like a robot, she wore a robot mask and was just like, I'm not a robot. And so me and Ian are like, of course, you're not a robot. She's not a robot. She wouldn't lie to us. Um, And then once that reveal happened, like I got to feel that legitimate sadness, like as an actor, like it was fucking awesome to like try to like, you know, make that a real feeling like, okay, my best friend, is a robot like how would i feel that would fucking kill me that would break my heart and so i got to do that in front of people and i got to have hood slam fans that were just there to have a good time they were just there to have a drink and fucking high five the person next to them was just like 
that was really sad when that happened to you. And I'm like, right, that was sad when my friend was a robot. My friend who was obviously was a robot was a robot. That was sad. Like, that's what I love about Hood Slam. It's just like how ridiculous it can be, but like how, I don't know, this is real. That's why it's one of our mottos. This is real. This shit's fucking crazy. <laughs> so at what point do you kind of like, not, I guess, what's the right way to phrase it? At what point do you um, start to kind of have more input there? Like, not just in terms of like wrestling, because I know that like I've, you know, in my research, I, you know, saw that like you do a lot with glam as well. Um, once, once that kicked off, like at what point do you start to see Hood Slam as something more than just a performer? Um, uh, that's, that's hard to say. Cause I want to kind of say like, since from, from the beginning, like at the end of the day, Hood Slam is dark cheeks. Like she has final say in everything, but she also like wants everybody to have input she wants everybody to enjoy what they're doing she wants she doesn't she doesn't want people to come in and be like all right what are we doing today like she wants people to be invested so i've i've never felt like i was just doing what i was told at hood slam um while still being told what to do at hood slam i don't know <laughs> um so like that part of it was always kind of there and i do think that dark chic does have like kind of an I don't know, an inner circle of people that she just talks to more regularly, not because like she handpicked certain individuals, but you know, she asks a certain group of people like, Hey, what should we do tonight? Or what should we do next week? Or where should the story go? Or do you have ideas for stories in general? And I think I was kind of lucky enough to just be one of those people that she would, you know, come to with ideas and like, what do you think of this? Like, Hey, what, what would you do here? Like, what do you want to do tonight? Uh, hey, I don't want to do a card tonight. Here, you put these matches together. Um, <laughs> and so like, yeah, it never felt like a big like christening or anything like that until Glam. Because once, once the Oakland Metro Opera House was like, hey, you guys can run every Friday. Uh, Sheik was kind of instantly like, I don't want to do a show every Friday. Like, I don't want to be in charge of a show every Friday. Like, that's just a lot. Yeah. So that was kind of like glam was sort of built out of like necessity on like the one hand of just like, God, I need something else. That's not hood slam. Um, but also like, obviously like dark chic really wants a, a spotlight on women's wrestling. Like that is very important. And so she wanted to do that. And she approached me and Brittany wonder and was just like hey do you guys want to kind of be in charge of glam like like glam was was dark sheik's idea like everything about it was dark sheik's but then at the end of the day she was kind of like cool here's my idea do something with it <laughs> and um like the reins were kind of given to me um i think Brittany just had a lot on her plate at the time and yeah i did not and so yeah it kind of became like mine to do with as i pleased and like i would still run things by chic but at the same time like i knew that i had the trust of like if i didn't run something by her she wasn't going to get upset and she definitely didn't want me to run everything by her because she'd be like oh well, then i'm running the show just do <laughs> just fucking do it um so yeah so like I, it wasn't something that I ever thought I wanted. I never wanted to like be in charge of a wrestling company. 
but it was very fun to do and just to kind of use my own creativity and like yes it was very like based around hood slam stuff for a while it was just like hey i'm gonna use these storylines at hood slam to start (laughs) the direction that we go but then it got to really become its own thing and kind of work in reverse where like some of the ideas i had at glam dark chic was like all right so there's a sun and moon door that goes to a different dimension like I guess that's a thing in canon. So we'll use that at Hood Slam every once in a while. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't I don't remember if that answered your question. <laughs> oh no, it definitely it definitely did. Like, uh, what's what's been the most like? Are there moments that stand out as like more rewarding from that aspect of like running Glam now and and having this new responsibility there? Um, um, yeah, I. You know, if I can be honest and vulnerable for a minute, um, I, as, as a, as a white guy being put in charge of a women's wrestling show seemed a little bit daunting of just like, I know this should be fine. I, I'm, I know that I'm capable of being in charge of a wrestling show, but I just was worried about some kind of backlash coming from it um of just like why is this dude in charge of a women's wrestling show which i will defend like glam was never meant to be a women's wrestling show it was always kind of supposed to be like a normal wrestling show has a bunch of wrestling and then like maybe a women's match and this was going to be the opposite of that like it was just the norm that we were going to be femme dominated and then maybe some dudes will be on the show yeah um and so yeah i I don't know. I just, I really <laughs> was trying to just do my best to like not offend anybody at first, um, which was scary. Cause like my ideas are silly. Like I said, like my go-to is like dumb. And you know, the idea that our first show was like a tournament for nothing. I was like, Hey, I don't know what this tournament's for, but we're having a tournament because we didn't get a lot of people on our roster for this very first show because what the what the fuck is glam that's not even hood slam like it's on the second friday of the month that's no we don't uh, i don't want it (laughs) so like you know we had to make do with like a limited roster so we did a tournament so that some people could wrestle more than once but there was no prize we didn't have anything to give them and we were honest about it on commentary i was just like yeah tournament the winner gets (laughs) fuck i don't know we'll figure it out um And so like, you know, I'm worried that like, um, that our roster was going to be like, you're not taking this seriously. Like I'm trying to be taken seriously in a profession that like, I'm already like pushing uphill on. And now I, you want to like make this silly. And so that was what was like the scariest part. But, you know, to all of their credit, like most of my roster that I'm aware of was just like, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. And then I think a lot of them started being like, okay, this is really fun. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to speculate as to like why people on our roster, like really loved glam, but like that was the most rewarding aspect is to just have women wrestlers or femme wrestlers or just anyone who wrestled for glam be like, this is my favorite company to work for. Um, because I was so worried that it was going to be looked down upon being run the way that I run a show and by the person that I am 
Um, but yeah, just to have people like desperately want to be a, a part of the show, like was so awesome to know. And like, I think it's because of like the atmosphere that was created by mostly by the roster of the show, but also just by the, the mentality of the show of just like me telling people like, Hey, this is what I want. Like, yes, this is silly, but I want you to go out there and do whatever you want. Like whatever you, um, the last glam, uh, the main event was Brittany wonder versus Sandra moon. Awesome match, right? Just on paper. That sounds amazing. Oh yeah. Um, and so they both asked me like, what do you want from this match? And I was like, you guys have time. You have as much time as you want. You're the last match. And like, we're going to, we're not ending like at the wire of like, shit, we got to stop. So whatever you guys think is going to be the match that at the end of it, you both go like, that was fucking good. That's all I want. Like, you don't need to go through doors. You don't need to go through the crowd. You don't need to do anything specific. I just want whatever you guys think is going to be a match that you're proud of at the end. And that's kind of the mentality that I try to bring to any of the matches. Just like whatever your idea of having fun is, go do that. Go do that in the ring and let me know <laughs> what'll best help you with that. And yeah, so I think that's the most rewarding aspect of glam is just having the trust of people that literally have all the reason in the world not to trust what I do with wrestling. No, in a way, like to hear you describe it, it like, obviously glam is an extension of hood slam in, in some ways, but it feels like even in the philosophy and the mentality that you bring to it, it's, it's also very similar in, in a way too. Like it really does feel like a, a sister promotion in a way. Oh yeah, we're we're the the mean sister of, of Hood Slam. <laughs> I think what we've settled on. Uh, and also like that, I just while I have you here, I have to compliment the title. Like that belt is just so pretty. <laughs> oh man, like let me let me tell you. So um the one of the members of the Hood Slam band is the one that created that belt. Like he oh wow. He, yeah cut it whatever you do to to make metal into a belt like he did that um and i think it was based off of a design that um that dark sheet came up with um but i had no idea what it was going to look like until i saw it and when i saw it i was like holy this is the fucking coolest thing i've ever seen it's a razor blade belt with razor blades on it this is amazing so good no, it, it worked out super well, fits everything to a T, honestly. And like, you know, Brittany Wonder carrying that title belt for y'all right now is just spot on. Like, I love it. Yeah, she is she is wonderful. She is very deserving. Uh the first part of Glam, and like I've told her this, and like at one point she like kind of came to me and was like, Hey, uh, this is what I feel like you're doing. And I was like, Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. But for a long time, Brittany and I don't mean this in like a negative context, but she was like the gatekeeper of glam. Like, cause a lot of people would message me and be like, Hey, I want to wrestle for you. And like, I'm not the most connected person. So I'd be like, I, okay, well, I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen your work. Can you send me a match? And then like, maybe they'd send me a match and maybe like they wouldn't, or maybe, you know, they just had a really good recommendation from someone that I trusted but at the end of the day, I didn't know what they were capable of. And so basically Brittany was the person that I put them with. Cause I was like, I know no matter what Brittany won't let them have a bad match. If they're great. Awesome. Then they'll have a great match. If they're bad, that sucks, but Brittany won't let them have a bad match. <laughs> and 
and you know that was kind of her her role for a long time at glam and so like you know i i wanted to give her more but it was just like i'm sorry i just i don't know what else i can do because i don't want to put that on anyone else because you know i've known britney for so long that like yes she could be like i don't like this but i'd be like i know but i love you (laughs) it'll be fine please keep doing this (laughs) and so now to like kind of be like cool i don't need i don't need that role anymore like now you get you get your reward that you deserve is just to like lead the charge for our company. And, you know, I think she definitely deserves it and she has deserved it for a long time. And I wish I could have given it to her sooner, but I really needed her to do what she was doing. (laughs) No, definitely, definitely deserving. Um, But one thing like talking about like your um, approach to like taking over glam and starting up glam and, you know, kind of recognizing the, your like you know privileges and and that sort of thing and, and your identity that kind of leads me into the next thing I wanted to ask you about um whenever you I guess I guess we can call it a coming out post that you sure. put up in February um uh so you know obviously like that the message that you put out there was very very heartfelt very well thought out from your own perspectives on like how you see yourself how like you know the your identity and all of the various labels and how people can get like really like hung up on on labels in a lot of ways especially when it comes to the lgbtq community but i i don't know like it in some ways i feel like it was um It, it was very touching and at the same time i think it speaks to a lot of struggles that people that aren't just like a hundred percent know that i'm gay or a hundred percent know that i'm lesbian or something like that um and honestly some issues of erasure with identities that are not like just a hundred percent focused on one gender mm-hmm. have experienced over the time span of you know the lgbtq's community's expansion and that sort of thing um talk to me about that moment for you though like what led you to finally like put this out or to like to have this it almost feels like you're having a conversation with yourself in the post (laughs) in a way i'd like to think that's how i write anything it's just me trying to talk to myself and figure figure out what the fuck is coming out of my face (laughs) um so i don't know it was I, so I guess going back to, you know, doing theater, like I've, I've been right all up in the middle of like the LGBTQ plus community for a long time. And like, I've never thought anything of it. Um, you know, I, in high school, I, I've had friends that were just like, you know, out of the closet, gay men, um, in the closet, gay men, just like, a lot of people and like I knew that I never thought any anything of it like no part of me was like having a sleepover with my gay friend and being like I wonder if he's interested in me like no I just we're friends 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 aren't gonna I don't know fuck each other when they're 13 years old in theory in my head (laughs) I don't know maybe they did well I don't know I don't know anything um I'm also very unassuming that anyone wants to have sex with me. So that was probably part of it too. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I just like, 
um, sexual identity just always seemed normal and natural for me. Like someone would say something and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if a guy tells me he's attracted to guys, I'd be like, yeah, there are women that are attracted to guys. Why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't men be attracted to guys? Like what's, what is the difference? What is like, I don't, I'm not a fucking scientist. I don't know how the brain works or anything like that. So it just, anything made sense. Um, and then, you know, down the line, like my, my sister came out as a lesbian and my, for some reason, like I was the, the last to know. And like, you know, I came at her like pretending to be mad because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're going to tell mom and dad that you're gay and you're not going to tell me like, who's going <laughs> to be supportive of you, you fucking bitch. Um, but like, just those things um, in and of themselves, just like a lot of like my best friends, like being homosexual um, made me just feel like a kinship with people that were in the community in general. And like, as a kid, I was, you know, I was attracted to men. I just wasn't sexually attracted to anyone because I was a kid. But like, if you were like, hey, who's your favorite Power Ranger? I like the Green Ranger. And I'd be like, I like the Red Ranger. And they'd be like, why? And I'm like, he's better looking. Okay, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's literally no other reason other than like, I think he's more attractive than the other one. But I didn't want to fuck the Red Ranger or anything like that. But I was, I could admit like, I am attracted to that person. And, you know, all of my friends that I had for a large majority of the part were like people that I was attracted to. I just knew none of my friends that I had in high school, like were trying to fuck each other. So I know that thought just never crossed my mind. Um, I didn't have sex with anyone in high school because I was an ugly nerd. <laughs> so I just didn't think about sex at the time. Um, and then you know, after a, a while, I, you know, met someone and we ended up getting married and we ended up being swingers. And then I was involved in a lot of stuff. Um, but for the most part, like even in the swinging, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, girl on girl, guy on guy type of stuff. Like a lot of the people that we were swinging with were like, theoretically straight people just looking to like switch partners or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of just like, dick and balls everywhere so like no part of me was like ayo gross gay like it just wasn't like it was fine it was like you know kind of hot everything's great but i i still just like never had to think about it um and then once i don't know like multiple outlooks on like gender in general started popping up like it made me realize like i've never thought about gender like no part of me has ever been like i feel like a woman or i feel like a man i definitely like if someone were to be like, to be a man, you have to be these things. I'd be like, I am not those things. <laughs> but at the same time, I never felt like a woman and I never felt like a combination of the both or like anything. I just never fucking thought about it at all. Um, but, you know, a lot of times when people are like, you know, what are your preferred pronouns? Like, like honestly, and I don't mean it disrespectfully. It's just like, I don't, it doesn't matter. Like if someone were to call me her, no part of me be like oh, you fuck like i don't it's fine yeah um and i think a, a small part of that is the fact that like um i had so many nicknames growing up because you know my my shoot shoot name is not anton but like i had so many nicknames that started with ann in general that one of my nicknames was literally ann 
I had a couple of friends that called me Anne. And when people would meet me, they'd be like, oh, I thought you were going to be a girl. And like, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, what the fuck? My name's Anne, apparently. So I get that. And like, it wasn't, I don't know. It didn't fucking bother me. I don't give a shit. Um, so just, I don't know. All of that just felt very comfortable. Just the whole community and like every aspect felt comfortable. And I felt a kinship. And when I started wrestling as Anton and Anton went to a different dimension and I needed to do something about that you know I picked an upside down triangle on purpose like that I I know what that means <laughs> and I chose to put it on my fucking face for a reason and it wasn't to be like hi I'm gay like because I'm I'm not gay I I just want to just show everyone that like I am a part of this and I don't understand what my part of this is like have I messed around with men yes have I messed around with women yes have I ever dated a man no dating a man sounds terrible like it just it does because <laughs> men are fucking terrible like we are terrible like if there was another me I'd fucking kill him I it just sounds terrible oh god I couldn't imagine um does that mean I never would? No, that doesn't mean that. It means that like I couldn't imagine doing it because like men are the worst. And anyone that's like women are the worst, I definitely understand that too because I've dated a lot of them and they <laughs> they're also the worst. Like we're all the worst. But it's I don't know. I just I don't know what my what my place in it is. I just I was so skeptical. I don't know if that's the right word to use here, but I was concerned about like coming out with being like, Hey, I don't know what the fuck I am. I know what I've done in the past and I know what I'm attracted to. And I know what I would like to do in theory, but I've also been like in a relationship, gotten out of one and gotten right back into one. And every time it's been with a woman and I didn't want anyone to be offended by me coming out in a way of being like, hi, I'm in a relationship with a woman, but I'm attracted to men because I've seen and heard people that I like and I love and I value their opinion shit on people like that to be like, oh yeah, she came out. She's been married for 20 years. And it's like, but does that invalidate anything? Like, I get it. I get it. Cause like it's coming out with no risk attached to it. Like, or very little risk attached to it in comparison to when other people would come out. And so I was, I never wanted to do that because the last thing I wanted to do was to be like, Hey, let me as a fucking white guy, share my experience and then have my experience offend anybody. Like I don't, I definitely don't want that at all. Um, but for the most part though, I don't remember exactly what I said in my post, but I got a lot of positive feedback and literally only one negative thing, which I really expected a lot of negativity, but I just wanted to take the chance to just be honest, be open and be like, hey, I'm attracted to men. I'm attracted to women. I'm attracted to non-binary people. There are some fucking hot people that have no gender. Um, what does that make me? I don't know. I thought that made me something. And then like, I heard other people be like, you don't want to be called that and I, like, I don't want to be called anything i don't know i just don't want to bother anyone with what my sexuality is because what is at the end of the day it's it's my sexuality and it shouldn't bother anyone so i was very hesitant to post it but i finally decided to do it because i definitely wanted people to know like i am a part of this community and it's not like i'm not just like an ally i i'm a part of it 
I just, I'm a part of it in whatever way it is that I am a part of it. And I don't know what that is. And if someone wants to tell me what that is, cool. I'll be like, great. I'm glad you think that. Cause I don't know any better. I, I fucking don't. Like the, the being an idiot, like, isn't just a gimmick. I'm also kind of an idiot IRL. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what really compelled me to do it, but I knew I wanted to do it not during like pride month or something. I didn't want to do it when other people were going to like be struggling to say something that like is actually like has a risk involved. Like someone coming out knowing that their family is going to fucking disown them like i don't want to then be like hey i'm i'm kind of gay too like no i don't want to do that that sounds terrible um so yeah i just tried to hang on to it and i had a lot of discussions i had discussions with my partner i had discussions with friends of like does this seem worth telling anybody does this seem like it's something that anyone is going to give a shit about does this seem like something that someone's going to get upset about and, you know, ultimately it, I decided like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to put it out there because what's the worst that can happen? But yeah, only, only like one person on social media and then one person while talking to me had anything negative to say about it. So it's, I chalked that up as a win. <laughs> no, I, I definitely say so. And like, and I know you like talk about like feeling like they're like, there is, was like, comparing it to like the risks that other people have, like there's a risk at any time anybody comes out, you know, sure. and, 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 you know, I definitely understood like where, where you were coming from, whenever, whenever I read it and I was very happy to see the overwhelming positive responses, you know, not just from the wrestling community, but like from people like fans, you know, and like mm-hmm. and other people that like really appreciate you um, in that way. But it also does raise that, conversation a bit about like labels and stuff like that and just how like they are important but yet they are also arbitrary and there's a fluidity to sexuality and like people can change and alter over time and it's just i don't know it's it feels like um some of it was getting caught up in that whole aspect of of the community as well and you know it's it also speaks to like by erasure, pan erasure, erasure of people who are attracted to multiple genders and that sort of thing um, because of like that feeling of not feeling queer enough in sure. a way. And, you know, that's something that I've had to deal with personally. I know a lot of people that are attracted to multiple genders have had to deal with that, you know, just from like the conversation of like, you know, gay people just like, oh, well, that's just a phase blah 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 and all these sure. sort of arguments and that sort of thing but i felt like it took a lot of a lot of strength to put that out and and to like really make a as definitive a statement as you wanted to about <laughs> about yourself sure. yeah so no well thank you i appreciate it and yeah like i said like really only one person was just like ah oh, you should have just said this like that's so extra and i'm like okay um and then yeah like one other person said, and I'm sure other people have thought, um, just like, you know, you're just trying to like jump in on other people's like thing they got going on. Like definitely had one person accuse me of like doing it to get on Effie shows. And I'm like, dude, like Effie has known me for a, for a while now. And 
if I don't, if I haven't gotten booked already, like this is changed shit about me getting booked. <laughs> so I would not come out for the off chance of like getting a booking. Like I don't need a booking. I promise you. Like I, I'm just trying to fucking figure my, my shit out. And it seemed like the right thing to do. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to get booked because of my sexuality. I want to be booked because I'm a fucking good wrestler. God damn. <laughs> which you definitely are thank you but i was very happy to like be able to to you know with max and, and millhouse putting together cascadia i was very happy to have you on on a pride show because i that is something that i feel like you know a lot of people in the community that are in pro wrestling want and i didn't really think about it from like uh like a personal want for you, but I just, I wanted, I want, I wanted to do that show to, to provide opportunities for people to be celebrated in that way. And, you know, you and a number of other people that were on that show were, were part of that thought process. So. Well, thank yeah. you. I definitely appreciate that. And I know that it meant a ton to Parm. Like I know that yes. he specifically was like, I fuck it. I feel seen finally. And I was, you know, I cut that promo on him and I was honest. Like, I, I know, I know how that feels. Like I know, what that what finally having someone be like hey you're on my team and i think that's great like that's such a fucking awesome feeling just to know that someone doesn't think that we're on opposing sides because i'm I'm definitely not um (laughs) on an opposing side to to anyone in the lgbtq community like i think we're all we're all in this together you know high school musical exactly Um, (laughs) uh, so yeah to be on that show fucking felt great uh, but at the end of the day, I I loved mainly the fact that like I feel like I'm on that show not just because I'm a part of the community. Exactly. So that that it was multifaceted, multifacetedly rewarding. <laughs> That's a word. I swear. That's a word now. It is now. There you go. Can't take it back. <laughs> well, Anton, this has been uh outstanding just to get the time to sit down and chat with you unfortunately running up against the clock a little bit i'm bummed because i i wanted to talk to you about some some video game stuff but that just means we have to bring you back on there you go sucker it was all part of my plan (laughs) it's a good plan it's a good plan i think ahead sometimes exactly well anton uh let everybody know where they can find you online and what y'all have coming up this weekend and and for the rest of october for sure. Uh, this weekend is fuck the fans Friday. First Friday in Oakland. Um, we got uh, the villainous Vipress running the show. She's calling the shots at Hood Slam, taking the reins from the Dark Sheik. Uh, every fuck the fans is run by the winner of a battle royal um, and Vipress won it. And so she's in charge. Uh, I know that there is another battle royal at this show and I'm pretty positive that's what I'm doing because I haven't been told I have any other match. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Um, uh, fuck the fans is always a really fun show. We are doing the outdoor venue again. So as many people want to come are more than welcome to come. We can fit thousands of you, please come out, come check it out. Um, yeah. So I got that going on. Uh, you can find me online. I am link to future FTF. So I know that that's words and numbers and letters, but like, <laughs> I promise you'll, it's easy to find me. Uh, Anton Voorhees, two O's, two E's. Uh, yeah, please come and check me out. 
feel free to hit me up for whatever reason, tag me in whatever you want. Like I like to talk to people. Uh, yes, I am an introvert, but I definitely feel protected through the security of being online and not having to look at you in your face. So yeah, if you want to message me in chat, please feel free. I fucking, I'm a very busy person, but I'll try to find some time to talk about whatever. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anton. Thank you. I'm. I, this was fun. Let's do it again. We definitely will. Okay. <laughs> My thanks once again to Anton for taking the time to sit down and chat about so much from his journey in pro wrestling as well as beyond. And like I said at the end there, there's so many other things that uh, we that I wanted to get to in, in the conversation there, but we just ran up on the clock, uh, so to speak. But that's okay. We will definitely have Anton back because I want to talk to him about cosplay, cosplay and wrestling, video games, commentary, Grand Pooh Bear. There's so many things. <laughs> Anton truly is uh, a renaissance man in the world of pro wrestling, much like a number of people there at Hood Slam. It, and it just speaks to the, the creative force that that company is um, and how it ruminates throughout the rest of the world of pro wrestling. You know, good things become examples to, to live up to or to com- not necessarily to compare yourself to, but, you know, things that you draw inspiration from and things that you can aspire to to be or that sort of thing so i don't know it's really cool anton it's great to to chat and i hope all of you enjoyed it as well um but with that we will say goodbye for this week we will be back next week with another awesome interview another episode as we roll into spooky season now but um yeah it's it's great to be back and talking to all of y'all after a week off. I know it was only like a week, but still, I don't know. It just, it feels like I was gone for longer than that. Um, but regardless, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible. And that goes for monkeypox as well. And happy National Scissoring Day. Everybody's ready to Bye. Give me the t-